Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. Greetings! Timbo the Wizard here, and I wanted to tell you about Knights of the Bantam, a socialist collective of tabletop role-playing game enthusiasts. We're committed to making tabletop gaming more accessible for everyone, especially BIPOC, LGBT+, neurodivergent, and disabled folks. Come join our wonderful Discord community, follow us on Twitch at Knights of the Bantam, listen to our podcast debuting August 1st, and follow at Bantam Knights on Twitter to keep up with all our exciting projects. Hello, welcome. I am... Gender Master, and I'm here with the illustrious Alex, the DM89. Hello, Alex. Hello. Welcome in. I'm so glad to have you. Yes, thank you very much for having me. Will you tell us about your name, your pronouns, your special interests? Sure. My name is Alex. My pronouns that I prefer are they, them, special interests. I am a huge tabletop RPG nerd as well as a huge board game nerd in the online space, though I am most active in the tabletop RPG realm. You are. It's true. Mm. So what I'm trying to figure out is, did we meet on tabletop Twitter first, or did Mirami invite you to my Discord server first? Because there came a point where we realized we all knew each other (laughs) from somewhere, and I don't know what happened. Do you remember? I don't actually remember. I think that I saw Mirami's name in a stream and then messaged and said, are you the same person? And then just got to talking and told me about how she mods for your channel. So I'm like, awesome. So I started watching. That's so cool. I love that. Mirami is our moderator tonight in the chat. So hello to the mods. Thank you so much for doing lay things for all of us. I thought it would be fun to start with a fluffy thing. I know we have some dice dragons in the chat here today. Would you like to show and tell some of your favorite dice that you have? Sure. We will start with, I guess, the part of the newest thing that I just got. I had my birthday recently, and I wanted to treat... Thank you. I wanted to treat myself to a custom-made dice bag. And yeah, I found this shop called Tea and Tails, and they make custom dice bags. So here it is. It's hard to see, but it's a Vampire the Masquerade-themed bag. Normally what she makes is bags based upon characters, but I messaged her and I said, hey, I know you usually do D&D characters, but if I just wanted you to do a Vampire the Masquerade bag and then gave you complete creative freedom to interpret that however you wish, would that be something you would be okay with? And she said, sure. The only thing she wanted to know is, do I want a light or dark base? Mm -hmm. And it's hard to tell, um, but there's this, you can see through the fabric in spots, but it's got roses all over it. And then when it's also got, I'll hold it up to the light. There's a couple charms on here. So there's like a, steak and then a little red crystal that kind of looks like it's got blood the inside is this color so kind of blood colored and then just inside there is hard to show on this camera but i've got a few different kinds so i've got just straight up vampire dice which run in red and black for hunger and regular i also have some just plain old dice which d10s which these are from die hard dice excellent shop they do not they are uv reactive though so if you have a black light they light up real bright wow yeah and then other than that i just have this one which has all the rest of my stuff in it which is Again, more diehard dice because they're my favorite. And then I also have some fudge dice, which are these guys. I got the pluses and the minuses on them. That's for the, yeah, that's for the fate system. And then I guess this one too, which is a little kind of hard to see, but Borderlands themed dice. Oh, so that's it's, so cool. Yeah, so it's got the cell outlining and shading. Again, it's kind of hard to see because it's yellow. <laughs> but yeah, I have... I don't have as many dice as some people do. I do have a fair amount. I like what I have. I love that you have the specialty dice though, right? Like for Fate and Vampire the Masquerade, Hunger and Regular. Oh, 
Yeah, vampire, you can you can play it with anything. Fate is the only one where it's a little bit more, it's a lot easier to have the pluses and the minuses. That's just because from old back in the day, I just like to have them around because, mm-hmm. because I have so many games that I own or have read. I'm always down to play or possibly run something if I'm comfortable enough with it. And I prefer to have the actual stuff so yeah. that I can tell people like, hey, go do this thing and I can promote it and get the people that make it to promote it by showing off their stuff, their dice, their books, etc. That's so fun. I have a small pile of dice to show off as well. Let's see if I can fix the zoom here. So we've got the double rainbow clear ones with rainbow confetti inside, which is this front one here. And then we have the metal rainbow dice. I think I'm making it blurrier. There we go. We have the metal rainbow dice that's got the the metal that is rainbow-y, but it's a green-purple. And then we have non-binary and rainbow pride dice, and there's sparkles in the non-binary ones. I actually won the the non-binary dice in a giveaway that our friends were doing. Trying to remember. Compass Rose Productions. They're like an indigenous tabletop streaming channel. That's awesome. Here on Twitch. Yeah, they're so cool. Scotty and all of those peeps are rad. Yeah, I do I do need to buy some pride dice, but at current I don't own any. I have pride stickers on the water bottle that I bring literally to every single RPG thing I ever do, but that's about it. That's so cool. Speaking of pride things, do you wanna tell us what you're proud of being? today and what <laughs> so like i'm proud to be a trans masculine non-binary person oh, no. part of this talk show is talking about the intersections of of like gender identity and special interest what is your gender identity or related identities sure uh, um the intersection I'm, of that with tabletop games i am proud to be a non-binary person and i am proud that i can bring that sort of i don't want to say perspective because i feel like there are a lot of people out there that have very powerful voices that do bring a lot of representation of pride and progressiveness and everything else like that to games it's just the identity that fits the best with me i have found that a lot of it it does make it so that people that are inside of the queer spectrum are a lot more comfortable um, mm-hmm. was speaking to me, which mm-hmm. is awesome because again, I'm, this is the most comfortable version of myself I can possibly be. Yeah. Yay. I love that so much. All right. How would you like to tell us about how your relationship to gender has evolved over time? Sure. So I lived my, and most of my life, I'm 32 now, probably, I don't know, when did I actually figure this out? probably two years ago, roughly. But anyway, so live 30 years. The whole time, just I grew up in an area where I didn't grow up around anybody that came out as trans or anything else when I went to school or anything else like that. And Mm -hmm. I struggled with my own personal identity, but I just assumed it was just whatever. But then I met somebody who is very close to me and I saw them grow and I helped them with coming out as a trans mask man, going through all the processes. I'm very intimately aware of pretty much everything that you need to do from start point to end point for the whole thing. (laughs) And that really opened my eyes to say, maybe there's something that fits better with me. Maybe there's an identity that is more for me. And so I started to explore things. I started to try things out and I'm like, what do I like? What is the best version of myself that I can be? And it's not a more masculine person. It's not a more feminine person. I like just whatever I like on the day. So I own now a bunch of different clothes that are across a variety of masculine and feminine and androgynous spectrum. And like that really, I express myself through what I wear. So that really allows me to come into myself. I love that. Would you be willing to describe what you're wearing today for folks who might be listening to the podcast later and can't see your fabulous outfit? Sure. I have a I have a flannel shirt from Duluth Trading Company. They've got a shop out here in Portland with the sleeves rolled up. It is orange, I think. I don't know. I'm colorblind. Uh, <laughs> orange, dark blue, and light blue. Or maybe it's like a maybe it's like a tan color, but and then a mixture of the patterns. I wore it just because it felt good for the day. Sorry, I made my camera shake there. I think your shirt looks great. I love the color patterns. 
I'm yes, also wearing a flannelly shirt. Mine has snappy buttons that have pearlescentness on them, and it's sort of holiday yuletide colors. So I've got green and red and a little bit of beige yellow going on. It's so fun. We didn't plan to wear seam flannel today, but that's what happened. I will admit after pre-check, I did go through my closet to see if there was anything else that I could find that would fit the way I was feeling, but unfortunately, no. Plus, I'm happy to rock the flannel. It's the Pacific Northwest uniform, I feel. Anyway. <laughs> it's certainly warm when it's cold outside. <laughs> yeah, that's that's been a thing that I've... I, it's been a lot more... So for those who don't know, I moved here to the Pacific Northwest a little bit over six months ago, or not even six months ago, five months ago this from time. Arizona. And yeah. I, I struggle a lot with being overheated just because I've, it's just been a thing that throughout my entire life, just because of various neural things it makes it. So when I do get hot, I just stay hot for pretty much the entire day. Mm-hmm. So here I can be a lot more comfortable. I'm very happy with 60 degrees all the time weather. Yeah. I've noticed on testosterone, my temperature regulation is all hecked up. I yes. get warm way faster. I just like, yeah. I told that my is... wife, I was like, I'm just going to be like three quarters naked in the house most of the time now, I think, because it's, I'm <laughs> too hot for anything. It's too hot to function. <laughs> that the person that's close to me experienced the same exact thing. Also, it's easier to open doors. Uh-huh. That's, that's been a thing that they've discussed with me. And on the inverse, my friends who are trans femme have stated to me that why is it difficult to open push doors now? This is not fair. <laughs> Yep, the the muscle changes in the arms is a real oh, thing, both ways. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it it shifts a lot. So, have you? I'm curious if tabletop characters have helped you explore identities at all. I know for me, like the name that I use in my daily life was actually the name of my first D and D character years ago, and it was like how I tried it on. And I'm wondering if you've had any experiences like that. So not ones that really allowed me to explore, just because I would just play whatever character I felt like. And oftentimes I would go with more of a central idea and a central flaw system and make them more relatable than anything. I do have non-binary characters. I actually have a D&D character who has not seen play yet. Their name is Trill, like T-R-I-L-L. They are a satyr hexblade warlock. Nice. They carry a demonic sword that's name isn't pronounceable by human tongue, but they call it Samantha and cover it in bows. Nice. <laughs> and then it just... It hates everything except for Trill, basically, Funny. and tolerates being dressed in bows, even though it's like this black Daedric blade. <laughs> what a great... Oh, your characters are so fun. I remember listening to a one-shot that you and Nikki Beholder to No One put together that was Delta Green, and you did such mm-hmm. a good job. I still think about that game. You've probably completely forgotten about it by now, but I just... I still think about it. It's the only Delta game I've ever heard... Delta Green game I've ever heard it. I'm like, that's enough. That was... Now I know that's a cool system based on that one game I heard my friend play that one time. <laughs> I, I am glad you think so. It is in my top three games. It's actually what really got me to start doing more running games and having a presence online was Delta Green. I My book is around here somewhere, but <laughs> I have... Uh, I got the rule book when it was first printed at an early release at Gen Con. I have signatures from everybody who made the game inside ah, of it so cool. it's something that's really special to me yeah i i love it i love the system because i really like games that are more about telling the story than just rolling dice because in reality in that game you, you die to a stiff breeze to a lot of things just because you're a tiny man human dealing with horrible eldritch monsters yes like not a lot of people survive most of the time yes your characters are one shots even if the situations are one shots yeah and if they do survive they it is neat there is a lot of systems built in to make it so that if they do survive they're not just oh here's the next thing they actually built into the game where and something that i transition into other games is having vignettes Mm -hmm. like having these scenes in between games and delta green is supposed to be your characters conversing with their bonds because if you see something that is especially mentally taxing Mm -hmm. in the game you can shunt some of that off onto your bonds so maybe you see a shugath eat a building and you're like, that shouldn't be there. Like mm-hmm. that thing doesn't make sense. And in your processes of trying to put that together in your head, maybe you're like, my coworker Dave, I hate that guy now. And maybe now next time when you talk to Dave, your interactions with him are a little bit less friendly because of the 
pushing that. And it's something we didn't get to really go into with the one shot, but it is one of the things that I like too about that system. Yeah. There's like this psychological breaking down of your character that happens. Yeah. It's one of the things that I, so a lot of what I do is I don't ever take a game 100% rules as written just because I find things that I myself don't particularly. Case in point in Delta Green, they have the sanity system, which is just an old name kept over from Call of Cthulhu. I personally don't use that in a way that because they have ways of putting in a mental illness. So PTSD, I don't do that though. And the creators have since kind of rescinded that a little bit and gone more towards the direction of you see something horrible, you your mental fortitude essentially just goes down from that because it's not a measure of sanity. It's a measure of your ability to mentally handle what you're looking at it has yeah. nothing to do with how sane you are. So yeah, it's like your resilience tolerance meter. Yeah. If you want to, it's your mind hit points. If you want to think about it in the best way. And that's something that I like to incorporate with a lot of games is finding ways to make things more inclusive because I, if I don't like something, if something feels wrong, I don't want it. I don't want to be representing it. Yeah, totally. I love that distinction very much. So have you ever written non-binary like NPCs? So you've talked about a player character, your satyr character that is excitedly waiting to join a game, but have you as a DM or a GM or a storyteller or narrator, have you had gender diversity in your game? And maybe could you share a bit of what that looked like for you? Sure. So in Delta Green, I just do it with the characters that people run into. There's not that many NPCs that get a whole lot of identity in that game just because mm -hmm. of the general nature of it. So you will have characters that are passing by that might be trans, might be non-binary, might be a variety of things. But it's not really the focus of the character because it shouldn't be. It should be. There's this person. This is what they look like. In Vampire, though, I have a lot of characters that are very diverse and it really does shape who they are as a character. I do have a character that is non-binary that hasn't been seen yet, so we won't go too in-depth, but... Just so it's they, a secret for later. Yeah. Yeah. But they they are... They're not, like, super mysterious or anything like that, but they are very, like, take-no-crap attitude and don't really, like, why should I tell... Why should I pick one way or the other? I'm just me kind of attitude, which is the same thing that I approach things with. So I would rather just be me. And plus, there's you should have representation in your game. There should be things in your game that kind of tie back into real world, especially if you have people that are playing at the table. They'll feel a lot better if you can actually integrate more things into the game that make people feel welcome. So that makes me want to jump to three questions from now because I'm so excited about it. It's a bit of a cheeky question. What's your favorite tabletop game and why is it full of hot vampire NPCs? I do have three. I think my current though is definitely Vampire the Masquerade. And it's because vampires are just hot characters. Like they can always be that because they are, even in a classical literature term, vampires are these symbols of lust and like passion and things like that. Like you're literal feeding is you draw people in towards you. And in order to do that, you have to be charismatic. You have to have something about you that draws people towards you and, or, or you're just assaulting people, one of the two. But most of the time people try and draw people towards them. The so I, they don't, and that's the thing is like in the game, an appearance or somebody's, a, how hot a character is, is not just based upon their appearance. It can also be based upon their attitude. Mm -hmm. You can have characters that are Nosferatu, which are, by game terms supposed to be hideous to it by appearance but their attitude can be very like very forward very in command very sure about themselves very confident in themselves and that translates better across that sort of medium that's so fun i love i love that it includes attitude that's let's be real attitude is such a huge marker of what can drive attraction in people so that's so great uh, a hundred percent. Yeah. If you have people that are very confident in themselves, have that attitude of carrying themselves in a way, I know who I am. I'm proud of who I am. I'm happy with who I am. And I know that I, I exude this sort of attraction this would be the best way of putting it. People catch on to that because if you're confident in yourself, then that kind of resonates a lot with people around you. I love that. It's, so in my notes, I wrote Vampire the Trans Masquerade because I would love for you to do like a trans masculine 
BTM one shot that's just all trans masks because the puns. Sure. <laughs> I will happily do it. I don't even necessarily need to be involved with it. I just want to see it happen. <laughs> I would happily do themed games if people want to do that sort of thing. We can make it as disastrous as people want to be. I have an entire written game <laughs> that takes place in Las Vegas where you play as Sabat vampires, which are essentially... They are vampires that believe that vampires are at the top of the food chain and everybody, all the other sects are just being stupid. And they're like, why are you blending in with the people? Like, take command, do the thing. So they have a tendency to find where the vampires have made their hold within human society and then go mess it up really hard. So it would just be a very, like, run and gun. They they would have be character interaction with each other, but it would be very disaster by energy kind of game. I love a good chaotic, a chaotic good tabletop game of any flavor it's just the shenaniganery is so fun okay so vampire the trans masquerade is one of your favorite games i'm guessing mm -hmm. delta green is another yes then what's the third uh, the third is a game called spy hander which is just german for two-hander referring to uh two-handed broadsword and the game is written it's a more streamlined version of the old warhammer fantasy game because i liked i grew up playing those sorts of games and i like those sorts of games but i didn't really mesh too well with the a lot of the themes of the game a lot of the things that they would touch on just because it's old and they never really evolved both Svihander took those ideas and they're like what if we just put this in a modern era and then they released Svihander and then they said, took that one step further and said, okay, we want to have a game that's about colonial era horror. So like 1770s era horror, how are we best going to best represent that? And they sat down and said, okay. And they hired all of these writers from the communities that they were going to represent. So they had people of color, they had indigenous people, they had two-spirit people, all sorts of different people that came on with them to write and to give them insight, as well as all the portions that are about those groups of people are written by those groups of people. Because it's approaching history through a more realistic lens rather than the whitewashed version that we've, we have today. Because we don't actually know we would have no way of knowing, but this kind of puts a little bit of a, what if things were more like they probably were, and then also Eldritch Monsters. You seem to be a fan of also Eldritch Monsters. I am. I like the theme that you will see across all my games is I prefer games that are bleak because mm -hmm. I like, I think that allows you to have a lot more stock in your character. The goods are really good and the bads are really bad. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I like that shift. Do you think that it, how does that impact a character's desire to be heroic versus selfish, do you think, if you're playing in a bleak setting? People still will, in my experience, people will still be focused on being more heroic. I have dealt with more selfish people in a more heroic system than in one where you're just played Dave with a sharpened stick. I find that people do try to take on those more heroic elements, try to help each other, try to be there for each other, because there's the fact that you could walk forward and you could be like, I'm this big bad guy. I'm going to do all these things. And then an ogre comes up and hits you and critically damages you to the point where you you could just die. There's no death saves. There's nothing like that. You just die. Same thing with vampire. Vam the reason why there's so much in vampire that has to do with social interactions, has to do with political interactions, has to do with humanity is because combat in that game is essentially two glass cannons fighting each other and then as soon as one of them connects with a punch the other one dies so you try to avoid the conflict as much as possible which makes people focus more on the role play and the intrigue and the and that's why i like those types of games that's why i like horror is because i like to have these settings where people feel a sense because it's very hard to make a tabletop rpg scary at least in a conventional term of scary what you can do is you can build dread you can build mm. dread very well and you can also have that personal horror element mixed in with it and that's really what kind of gets brought into the bleak settings and what makes people they don't run in but they will still do things that for the betterment of the party kind of thing i like that distinction about dread so when you have dread and those sorts of things, part of what is important is having a really good container for safety 
And I know that you're really passionate about tabletop role-playing game safety. So I wanted to invite you to share more about maybe what are some common tools? Where did they come from? I've played at a lot of tables that didn't have any safety tools. And I know when I first started hearing about it, I was like, wow, this exists. I wish I'd known. And now whenever I run a game, I always use tabletop safety tools. So I would just love to hear your thoughts on that topic. Sure, sure. So this is the thing I've always been a big advocate for because when I started in games or when I started, I didn't have safety tools. When I started to become more into myself, we did have a table. When I first got introduced to Delta Green, we did have an X card at the table, but that was my first introduction to any of it. And so I started to dive deeper into it and dive deeper into these themes and things like that of safety, because I thought about, I'm like, what sort of stories do I like to tell? I like to tell stories where things are scary, where characters feel like there's actually a risk to anything that they're doing. And then how do I best convey that? How do I best get them in that headspace, but still make it so that they feel okay? Because I've been around a lot of people that have suffered various mental health traumas and things like that. And I do not want to be the cause of any sort of triggers or anything else like that, at least not directly. I realize there may not be something you can always catch and it might come up, but that's why you have other safety tools in there that will accommodate for that. Really where I got a lot of inspiration and something I recommend everybody take a look at is actually coming for originally from Vampire the Masquerade, which is a system called Lines and Veils. Lines and Veils is essentially a list of things. And you can, this is the same thing as a modern consent form uh, that you'll find in RPGs. And what it'll be is a list of items. And in that list of items, you'll either mark, mark a line, which is a hard no, a veil, which is a item that you're okay with it happening as long as it doesn't go too in-depth and fade to black. Best inter- best con- uh, situation I can give is an encounter that is sexual. A sexual encounter mm-hmm. with a character, you would have the lead up to that and then just fade to black. Mm-hmm. And especially in a game like Vampire where they are characters that are very sexually charged, that is important to have that sort of thing in there so that everybody feels safe. But also the person that made that their character, that made their character that siren that draws people in with their appearance and their attitude and everything else like that, they still get to do the thing that they wanna do. And that's important as well. But, and that learning about that, I started to do more research and I said, where does this come from? Lines of Veils actually originally comes from the kink community. Mm-hmm. And so, I started doing, looking more into those intersections between kink and tabletop RPGs, as well as the BDSM community, and really thinking about it and discovering more and more about it is that, in reality, the person who's running the game is like in a kink uh, session, the one who is in charge of that session. And having the players still feel safe and feel respected and feels heard is important for your game just the same as it would be important for any encounter with one or more people. You are at that table to all have fun together, all tell your story together, and all feel safe together. And if there's anything that would possibly interfere with that, it needs to be taken into consideration because I know that there are a lot of people out there who you see them advertise and they'll say, we don't use X cards, we don't use whatever. That game is not gonna- have unsafe games. Yes. And it's the same and it's the same exact thing that in the kink community, people who do that sort of thing, they'll say no safe words, blah, blah, blah. It's, okay, there's gonna be people that like that, and that's cool, but most people probably won't. <laughs> because that is essentially saying from the DM, from the perspective of the DM, let me do whatever I want, even if it scars you, just because it's what I want to do. Yeah, and that's a shock I, factor. Yeah, and and a lot of this is the thing that comes across in a lot of horror games too. The best example I can give is in a game called Cult, which I am just getting into myself, but it is a game where you're just normal people and then you start to see the intersection of your normal reality and hell because they start to mix together. And so you will have these demons and things like that that come forth and start influencing people. And you can imagine how far that sort of thing can go. So there's a group um, called Gehenna Gaming who they run a lot of cult. And Mm -hmm. they always, you can find it on their website, there's a list of their consent form that everybody always fills out. There's always a session zero, which I also do. You always need a session zero, which we can come back to, but, and they treat that form as 
something that allows people to feel safe. But if you want to look at it from the scariness perspective, it also tells you how far they can go. Like mm-hmm. how much for if you mark something is not okay or something is okay or whatever else, you can take that to the ends of its possibility. And so that's really how I think that people should look at this is like, this isn't a form of telling you that you can't tell your story. You can still tell your story, but you need to be more creative in the way that you do it. Plus you should be working together with people. This is just, it should be a mutual thing, mutually enjoyable for everybody. And that is also coming back to the session zero thing is it is important that you take into consideration what you want out of a game out of the person who's running it and then every single player the question i always ask them um, because in our session zeros or pre-talks is what do you want out of this game what do you want to have what sort of things do you want to see what do you want to do and make sure that is a story that i can tell that i want to do mm-hmm. because you need to be okay just with the same just the same as anything don't let people force you into a situation you don't ever want to be in. You can take a stand and say, this isn't the type of game I want to be in. You may want to be in a game where it's super tactical and running around the map and everything else like that. And if I tell you, I have this vampire game, you don't have minis, there's no map. You have to navigate all these situations while your humanity is rapidly eaten by this horrible beast that lives inside of you. That may not be the game for you. Mm-hmm. because it may be that you just want to do a completely different thing and that's fine and that's one thing that is always important and this can be in any kind of relationship is that communication is key in everything whether it be games a relationship any kind of encounter that you have with another person if you don't have communication prior then you are not going to have a it is less likely for you to have an enjoyable experience if you talk about stuff beforehand Everybody knows what's on the table. Everybody knows what's there. Everybody knows what's expected. And you can still have fun because you have laid out those ground rules of this is what I'm going to do. This is what we are going to do. This is how we are going to have fun. There was a time when I was running a Dungeons and Dragons game. I was running Storm King's Thunder. And I won't get too spoilery, but there's a bunch of giants in it. It's like the giant themed pre-written thing from Wizards of the Coast and I realized once we got a couple months into playing that game that I didn't want to run it anymore because it's just like super racist and I was like I don't want to run a racist game for the funsies like it just I don't feel good about it at all like the way that the enemies were being personified was very gross and I was not into it and so I actually I, I canceled on that group there was it started with nine of us I was a new DM and I was foolish and I had nine players and it was ridiculous but they kept coming back every week. It wasn't like I went and got nine. It's like I was running it at the like local friendly game shop before the lockdown started happening. And we, I was just at Adventure League and I had nine people that kept coming early to get at my table so they could keep playing that same game. And so we had a group that gelled for a while and people sort of dropped off over time. But there was a point where we had five or six of us that were still consistently showing up months later, even after lockdowns online, online D&D game and it was just my heart just wasn't in it and I had to cancel on them and I felt so bad because you know we were I don't know uh, a third of the way through the whole adventure and they leveled up five or six times and everyone was really invested in their characters and so it just it was sad it was sad to have to cancel because I liked the group but I didn't want to keep doing the story and so covering that in a session zero is such a you save yourself all of that heartache <laughs> so important That is very true. And it's one of those things that like, especially if you play games, and this has been something that Wizards has shifted away from in the more recent time is having more of that inclusivity, acceptance, things like that. Less, this race is innately evil, blah, 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 kind of representation. I think that is something that a lot of other games have already taken and ran with in the realm of progressive RPGs and things like that. D&D may not be at the top. They are improving but there are the ones that have taken that idea and that ran with it and things. Because we as a society are more aware, especially in our community now, we are way more diverse than we used to be. Like there used to be people that were from different groups and things like that, but they weren't nearly as, didn't have as loud of a voice as they do now. Mm -hmm. And that is person, like that is what we need. I started in this game with just a bunch of friends in high school or in games with just a bunch of friends in high school. Mm-hmm. And I really wish that this sort of thing had been in there from the start. Oh my because, gosh, can you imagine? Yeah, because 
I started, I actually didn't start with D and D. Um, I started in 2007 and I started with a game called dark heresy, which is, uh, dark heresy is a game, which is in the Warhammer 40 K universe. And if you know anything about Warhammer 40 K it's grim, dark, it's the kind of, which is a genre and like literature and things like that. So you can, I guess the idea ideas that are going to be present, but it's about, you are a group of people that are a servant of what's called an inquisitor, which is in modern day, a very bad name, but you are a servant of this inquisitor and you essentially go down to a planet and you investigate maybe intrusions of demonic forces called drug rings, all these different things that threaten planetary stability and stuff like that. That was my intro to games. It wasn't this idea of the orcs are bad. It was this idea of everybody can potentially be bad because you can go down to a planet and then there's a gene stealer infestation, which is essentially an alien group that infests humans and then starts to blend in with their society and things like that to the point where you can't even, they become hybrids. Oh. So you can't, but you wouldn't be able to tell like directly. And it could eventually devolve to the point where they overthrow the planetary government and by that point, usually, the, so the way that they operate is they um, they are the harbingers of the coming alien force. So they are the alien hybrids of this much larger apocalyptic force that's coming towards that planet. And then right before they finish, they cut all psychic ties with that group and then kill them. But none of them know that will happen. So in their minds, they are serving this god and things like that. So... And in our do game, some of them end up being like player characters who are the betrayers. Not in ours, they could be. You could definitely do that. But in Dark Heresy, you are more the, you're like the space marshals. You're just going around trying to keep stability and things like that, making sure these worlds still produce their stuff, still provide for the Imperium, everything else like that. But like I, when I started in D and D, I interacted with that kind of innately evil thing. Like, this doesn't feel great. And also the DM wasn't great because we didn't do what he wanted to do. So he threw a dragon at us when we were level one. Yeah. <laughs> one, one rookie DM mistake I made was I gave a deck of many things to my friends when they reached the end of the like starter kit module, which you're like mm-hmm. level four, about to turn level five about then. And it's like an epic level, super chaotic rare item it was totally a mistake. One of them ended up level nine. One of them, two of them were like, either snapped out of existence or were like in the void one of them made like a super devil like enemy forever <laughs> it's like really intense yeah. how am i gonna keep track of all of this stuff it's wow. definitely something it's definitely something that's a difficulty with magical items and why there are so many podcasts and articles about how to distribute magical items just because yeah. they can straight up break your game and it's hard and i'm not sure if nikki is still here but i i know that nikki beholder to no one has really great opinions on magical items and i think has even run games where there's little to no magic items it's like you gotta craft it yourself it's just they're not just abundantly available everywhere which is definitely i think the longer i've been a dm i think nikki's onto something here <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, the best example I have of a game where I actually felt like the magical items were well put together was a Pathfinder game that I played for a year and a half until it got derailed because of a reason. But in that game, we found two magical items. One was a sword that gave you plus one. And then one was a amulet that allowed our sorcerer to essentially open like a portal over a short distance. Mm-hmm. That was it. I think that the thing that people a lot of people overlook with magical items and this is getting across all games is they don't have to be weapons they can just be something that does something cool because the way that you want to run a a scenario or rather an encounter with making those magical items be able to be used in a fun way is make them do something cool make them interact with the train make them do something different that would make the players have to think in a different way and stuff like that because if you're just fighting on a arena every single time that's boring make them make have these different elements in there these different obstacles that they have to get through and what it also allows them to explore the realm of their character rather than i go forward and hit thing maybe the character has a lot of acrobatic skill maybe they yeah. want to vault off of that tree over there come down and stab this thing that's really cool do undo it yeah i like to try if i am running a dnd game or one that's more tactically focused i do like to try to create 
combat encounter spaces that are like complex, right? There's a table you can turn over. There's a tree you can hide in and try to snipe from. There's a roof you can climb up. There's some water you could shenanigans with. I actually, for the first time in 11 months, ran a D&D game for my stepkids over the long weekend because we had them for the holiday. And, and I put like barrels of alcohol in a barn in case they wanted to do some mischief with flammable mm-hmm. liquids. So anyway, it was fun. Yeah, it can be a lot of good fun. And that's something that Miriam mentioned in the chat with the cipher system tying back into the whole making you craft magical items. That's essentially what that game does. And it does it very well. And I think that's something that people should look into is like we were saying before, there are a lot of games out there. Look at all of them, take things in make them take the cool pieces and put them into your game and things like that. Because if it's fun, if everybody at the table is having a good time, even if you're producing something for content, don't let people tell you like that's against the rules. Is everybody having fun? Is everybody enjoying themselves? Then the audience is enjoying themselves, even if mm-hmm. one person is getting mad because the rules are wrong. Yeah. And I think keeping that in mind, having it be more about fun than following a book perfectly makes it so much easier to both play, but also DM publicly in front of other people. Because I know for me, it took a while to get the courage to DM on stream because it was like, people are going to judge me. They're going to judge my DM style. Maybe my storytelling is boring. Maybe I'm not going to have the rules. I'm going to have a bunch of neckbeards in the chat being like, well, actually the rules say burr, burr, burr. And yeah, I agree with you that it's totally more about having fun, having consistent rules so that the players know what exists is helpful. But yeah, it's um, being kinder with my brain about perfectionism has made it a lot easier yeah and that's a truth that a lot of young dms and gms learn is that just because the book says it's a certain way doesn't mean it has to be a certain way if it's cooler for you to do because it sure you want to stick to the same baseline of things but you can add some stuff in you can bend things a little bit if it's something that's cool if it sounds cool it's probably cool and so you should explore that. And that's why I like these games that are more narrative focused because they are more about like the rules are just there to dictate how things go about, but you could totally make stuff up and throw it in. Yeah. I, I once had a, a magical goat that each little goat teat would dispense a different flavor of milk. <laughs> I, my games are really campy. <laughs> they're, they're silly. <laughs> like they're like silly. You're like spooky horror psychological thing. And I'm just like, let's be goofy and make everybody laugh and to get points for puns. Like it's be a very different DM styles, but I still oh, love your games. <laughs> and that's, I'm glad, but that is completely okay because there, there are people out there that kind of do this. There's actually a group called uh, tabletop titties told the D's where they ran a vampire, the masquerade game that was comedy forward rather than more serious dark brooding so all their characters were just wacky and did all these different wacky stuff and it was a really fun time and i always encourage people because i sure i may run a lot of horror games but i also have quest which i really i really like those games that can be those saturday morning cartoon you know games they may not be the ones that i want to run for an extended period of time but I still like to sit down and have that fun Saturday morning cartoon feeling five session game where we go through and go through these different planes of existences and fight all these different things, which Quest does an excellent job of conveying. If anybody wants to check that out, it's super good for new people. But I think that people should just do whatever feels right for them. Explore different avenues and things like that because it'll make it so that when you come back to your things like a horror game, the opposite of horror is comedy. So if you can run things that are comedic, it really allows you to hit those high highs and low lows because a human can only feel something for about 20 minutes before that just becomes what is happening to the body. So psychologically, Mm -hmm. if you're afraid, you're only really afraid for about the first 20 minutes. After that, it just becomes what you're doing and your mind switches into a survival mode. And so having these elements of like horror hope comedy court horror comedy shifting around makes it so the things are more impactful just Mm -hmm. the same of happy and sad and like a game where you have these big powerful characters and everything else like that have that element of happiness have that element of sadness it really allows you to explore more and explore this range and make things more emotionally investing Mm -hmm. and make it a lot more fulfilling because if you have those more fulfilling elements, you're not going to remember that you hit the guy with the sword and he died. You're going to remember that whole story around 
that led up to hitting the guy with the sword and he died. And maybe when he died, you found out that he was actually in love with this other person and you can really tie in a lot more to make scenes more meaningful. And again, this is entirely, if you want to do this, you could just have a bunch of Skeletors running around beating the crap out of stuff and fighting people. That's also totally fine. <laughs> if that's what you want to do, there's avenues for everything. You don't have to do anything in a narrative way. You could totally do things like there used to be back in the day. Oh, this would probably be about probably 10 years ago at this point. D&D used to have a thing where you would show up like a Friday night magic setting with your character and you just go into a dungeon and fight stuff. Mm -hmm. And there were just DMs there that would just spawn monsters. And that was it. Yeah. And that was the game. And people liked that. And that's cool. I don't. But that is cool that people do like that. And it is mm -hmm. cool that they have that avenue. So don't, I, I hate when people say that something is done wrong. There is no wrong. It's just wrong for your table yeah or not today for my table maybe another yeah. day yeah i want to be mindful of your time i have three more questions but i don't know if you want to do all three of them or none of them or one sure of them. we can we can if it's if it runs a little bit long so we can get the questions that's totally fine i'm, I'm well, cool with going a bit over Consent in action, everyone. So what tabletop games can you recommend that are gender wonderful friendly? I know there's a number of trans and non-binary content creators that have been releasing tabletop games. I'm friends with some of them and have had the pleasure of getting to interview some of them, but I'm always on the lookout for more things I haven't heard of. I wonder if you have a list in your brain you could rattle off. So the ones that you've interviewed are probably the same ones that I know because nowadays books are written by so many different people and the representation is there for a lot of newer content. Mm -hmm. There is stuff like Thirsty Sword Lesbians, which is obviously written more from that focus. And they actually did a lot for spawning these other really queer charged games. And that's really awesome. I unfortunately don't have any names off the top of my head, but you should follow people like Thirsty Sword Lesbians and stuff like that on Twitter because the best place for new RPG content, because things get posted at itch.io all the time, mm -hmm. is on Twitter because you can find those new things. And that's where you can learn about Honey Heist and Lasers and Feelings and all these different kinds of games that are maybe wacky one or two pages or maybe are more way more fleshed out. I think Wander Home started as an itch game, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. You interviewed the creator of it, so I don't. <laughs> did I did? Yes, Jay Dragon made Wonder Home, and Jay even has other games that are coming out now that are fun. There's a spooky one that's out now that I'm forgetting the name of, but there's like Ghost Cats, and I was like, oh yeah, Ghost Cats. Mm -hmm. Thirsty's Lesbians is great. Uh, Wonder Home is great. There's also Logan, whose ink and stories on Twitter makes wonderful heartfelt little games there are many wonderful ones and i i love just the sheer volume of little one page or sort of pocket-sized tabletop games that are being released on itch.io the only other one i can think of without walking to my bookshelf and looking at all the fabulous things on it is glitter hearts which is very like magical girl transformation sort of themed situation i think i got mm -hmm. to play that once with the compass rose folks Nice. I will say that there is also a game that is actually a spy hander based game, which is called Blackbirds. That's coming out pretty soon. I think that had a lot of queer representation put into it. Actually, also, I think that the way you acquire weapons like magical weapons in the game is essentially the same idea from Boyfriend Dungeon, where you come where you approach these weapons because they're living things and try to get them to be okay with you wielding them and stuff like that, which is the same idea that was in, granted it's a video game, which is in Boyfriend Dungeon, where you would have these blades that then take on their actual persona, which is just some dude. Yeah, your weapon becomes a, a party member. <laughs> yeah, like you you essentially date your weapons. That is, that is what you do. Boyfriend Dungeon, so wonderful. My, my last two questions are a little more general than tabletop. This next one is, can you share about an experience with gender euphoria? So it won't be especially powerful. It was mostly just learning more about non-binary people and things like that. And then trying out the they, them pronouns for myself. And then mm -hmm. realizing how good that did feel to use that and seeing these pictures online of people who are wearing more androgynous clothing. I'm like, I really like that outfit. I could totally wear that, like something with a very flower, like a kind of more billowy shirt with a lot of flowery prints on it. Because most of my clothes that I enjoy wearing are flowy is probably the best way of putting it. 
They're flowy, so, just like your gender identity. Yeah, exactly. So that that experience was really probably the most eye-opening to me. And that's because I am a very, if I find something that is enjoyable or makes me happy, I'll just do the thing at, to the 10th degree. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in on something, I'm usually all in. I love that. Unless the chat has more questions for you. But then my last question for you is, what would you like to make sure that folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary or trans issues? Just the basics of trans rights or human rights. And everybody deserves to live their best and happiest life. I don't see why anybody would think otherwise. Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much, Alex, for joining us today. It has been such a pleasure to have you here on the show. My face hurts from grinning the whole time because I've been having so much fun. I've just been, it's a wonderful problem to have. Is there anything else you want to share with the chat before I say goodnight and also give Nefertiti wet food because we hit our bed goal today? Sure. You want me to do like a shout out for stuff at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So you can find me on most social media outlets. I'm very active on Twitter. I have started to make TikToks but they're mostly just tabletop RPG ones. I'm pretty much everywhere at AlexDM89, which is the same exact thing that is used as my Twitch or my Twitch ID. I do stream as well. I just started doing that. So I stream on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. I stream a lot of adventure games. After I get my green screen for my chair, I'll be streaming horror games because I love horror games, but I also do get scared of stuff in a funny way, I'm told. So it'll be fun for people to see that. You'll also be able to find me come next year on Dice Before Dawn, um, which is a channel that I have actually been working on with Nikki. And our first show that we have coming out is a Vampire the Masquerade show called Phoenix by Night, which takes place in Phoenix, Arizona. And it's something I am super excited about to keep going into. There will also be future stuff, some more Delta Green games and stuff like that. And that's pretty much it. The rest of the stuff will have to wait till next year when I can actually announce it. But more stuff on the horizon. Super fun. I'm so excited for you and Nikki doing anything together, but especially vampire things. It's, oh my gosh. I'm doing happy clappy hands right now. <laughs> it's very exciting. Thank you so much, Alex, for being on the show. And... I'll do my best to make sure your recommendations are included in our show notes. If you want to hang out for a couple minutes after stream, make sure I caught it all. But yeah, thank you so much for being here. It's been such a pleasure having you here. I love seeing you in the Twitch chat as often as you swing by. It's so nice. I always like my little heart goes, oh, Alex is here every time you show up. It's so nice. So I really appreciate you taking your time to chat with me today. Well, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you.